This is podcast number 282, entitled Under a Cloud, and it's really a direct follow-on, as they say in England, from 281, which is entitled Downhill Racer. The um, podcast is dedicated to David B. That's B as in boy. And he will know uh, to whom I directed that very loving and uh, encouraged encouraged uh, personal acclamation. Now, the music we've just heard is Living, Loving, Made, also by Led Zeppelin and from their immortal album Led Zepp 2. And the concluding music will be The Lemon Song, slightly cut, as all these are, so we just give excerpts. The Lemon Song, which is also from that immortal LP. And I want to continue just a little bit more on this um, uh, question uh, that um, Tullian's ministry, but universally, Charles Dickens' um, situation of Magwitch and Pip, and the very nature of our lives reveals again and again. And it's absolutely crucial. Now, um, I spend an awful lot of time uh, reflecting, as you probably do too, on personal change. How might I be used or some kind of an intervening helper in hamburger helper uh, in um, enabling a very stuck downhill racer of a person to possibly change. That is to say, I see elements of attrition and um, profound um, inertia really increasing in speed with contemporaries of mine, which can only end in an unhappy and somewhat embittered and certainly unresolved death of the individual. I'm constantly asking myself, how could I help this person? Because I certainly know that coming to them and sort of saying, well, you know, look, I have to tell you, I've been noticing, or as your friend, let me lay out to you what I'm seeing. You may not be seeing it, but others are seeing it, and I, for one, certainly see it, and it's this, this, and this, and I do not foresee a happy outcome from this particular pattern or this particular temperamental movement or this particular series of decisions you've made without your um, some kind of uh, change. And I, as God's messenger, believing that I'm speaking the truth in love, I'm here to 
offer you the possibility of a, a road not taken that will change your life forever. And it never works, never has worked. And um, Paula says a very good thing when she repeats this theme quite constantly in her Twitter account, which I think is really great, in which she says, you really cannot change a person, but God can change them. And then she says, you can't change the person you most love who, in your opinion, and you're often right, objectively speaking, requires some kind of profound change of course or direction or attitude. You can't do it, but you can pray for them. That goes for your adult child. That goes for your mate. I will not use the word partner. I absolutely refuse to use it. Um, your mate, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you've got to, um, you, you are faced with a person of irreducible givenness whose uh, characteristics are um, maddeningly um, um, alive and uh, vivacious, vital. And um, the more you rage against them in your own heart or inner inwardness or in your own um, saying, you know, if you do this one more time, I think I'm going to just kill myself right now off the spot. Mary is so good about it. She'll, I have currently run it. I'm wiggling a lot. My right foot is wiggling. It's wiggling right now. And she says, do you have any idea how much you're wiggling? And we go out to dinner and the whole table shakes. And what, well, you know, is there an earthquake going on? I immediately think, oh my gosh, Sandy, you know, or or, um, uh, or I'll be watching a movie with Mary, some really good movie, and I'm jiggling. It's usually because I've had too much coffee or um, something else is on my mind that's bothering me. It's always the result of stress, but it gets a little boring. It gets a little old. It gets a little old. Um, <laughs> in uh, St. Albans, we had a classmate, lovely guy, as it turns out, the son of an Episcopal minister, who um, was always twiddling his thumbs. And he would, that was just what he did. He was a little bit insecure in his seventh and eighth grade years, and he was always twiddling his thumbs. And we, we, we sort of grew, everybody sort of noticed this, and gradually, everybody, when he started twiddling his thumbs, everybody would start twiddling their thumbs. He didn't notice. And then when he would switch direction, you know how you, you switch direction, twiddling thumbs, you go clockwise, but then you suddenly start going counterclockwise. There was a guy in back who's now a physician somewhere, and he would sort of give a kind of signal that you couldn't hear, but it was kind of a hand signal. And then everybody in the class would switch directions, according to our friend. Now, you think he really enjoyed that? I mean, you think he liked that? You think he got anything out of that? Um, do you think he stopped twiddling his thumbs? You know, did, did Paul Zoll stop wiggling? Now, Mary's very good about it. She'll only mention it the 27th time, and it's always an eye message. You know, Paul, I can't eat my salad because, uh, you know, the pieces of gorgonzola, to quote John Zoll in a recent sermon, are, um, are uh, detaching themselves from my fork <clears throat> because <clears throat> the whole table is shaking. <clears throat> now, the question is, <clears throat> how do you but that's light. But this is much more significant. You're with your friend, your person you love. You really do love them. Your adult child, your grandchild, your um, sister, your brother, your, a parent of yours, and most importantly, the woman you most love in the world or the person you most love in the world. And you see something going on. And I'm talking about I'm the recipient of this. And I'm... Uh, and I, nobody sees it. I mean, I don't see it, but everybody else sees it. That's what I meant to say. And how do you intervene? Well, you can't and you don't. And um, the, yet the thing always irrevocably and unarguably and almost completely, certainly subjectively almost completely, changes overnight where love is exchanged. We, we didn't we used to say exchange of bodily fluids. <laughs> um, when the... Um, when the... <laughs> um, when the um, love 
is given when you are at your least attractive. Now, I'll give two examples. Uh, Whit Stillman's movie, I bless him for it. I bless him for it. He was in the class of 73 in Lowell House, and I was in the class of 72, but we knew each other initially, acquaintance, and then later on knew each other a bit, and uh, there's a lot to be said about those kinds of relationships in college. But Whit's movie, Barcelona, is an inspired absolutely inspired film and at one um, particular point the character the sort of preppy <clears throat> slightly suppressed but very heterosexual normal delightful and Presbyterian chap he, he's just slept with the girl he most really loves he's to his great surprise she has uh, brought him home and spent the night with him and very early in the morning he uh, puts his raincoat on or his suit and he goes back to where he to change quickly before going into work. It's five o'clock in the morning. All you see is a few garbage trucks in Barcelona, and he's on his way back, and he says, with complete artlessness, he said, after that night, everything had changed. Everything had changed. Now, he, that, what I'm trying to say is this is a guy who got an unbelievable ego boost from someone, a surprising, unbelievable ego boost from a woman in the area where it is most profoundly and, shall I say, um, really life-changingly felt in that area and he to his surprise and he says everything changed now listen to that everything changed think about you think about when you had a, a, a situation when absolutely everything uh, changed uh, because of a kind of the opposite of rejection which is a deep and absolute affirmation everything altered and um, this uh, Gosh, I was going to use an example of my own, but I, I really um, can only say that, well, I, I'll give it. Um, I was in ROTC. That's, uh, uh, actually, I wasn't. I was in Naval OCS Officer Candidate School in Newport, Rhode Island in the fall of, of uh, 1973 and uh, had spent the weekend in Cambridge um, in Massachusetts. And uh, you, we always face that horrible moment uh, Sunday night when you were returning from wherever you'd spent the weekend if you were lucky enough to not be on watch that weekend and I'd had a sort of nice weekend but slightly there had been a little bit of tension with a particular person not the person who won the day and um, uh, I was having to go downtown to Boston near the Shreve Crump and Low, we used to call it Heave Lunch and Blow, and to get the Peter Pan bus or whatever the bus was from um, to Newport and then get another bus to the gates and go back and get back into bed by 11 o'clock so I could get up at 6 for Reveille. And um, it was in the middle of serious military training. And um, Mary and I had had, a, I guess, a cup of coffee. or she, I hadn't seen her for a long time, and she picked me up where I was in Cambridge. And um, she said, and I said, gosh, you know, I don't have much time. I've got to get a bus to go to, back to OCS. And she said, oh, I'll take you. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I'll take you. Um, I, I'm free. I said, but you don't know where it is. It's through Robin. It's, we have to go all the way to Newport through Narragansett Bay, and there are all these bridges, and then when we get there, I don't even know how to get there. I've never been there by car, and for heaven's sake, and, you know, I'm a mess, and you, you don't want to do that. And she said, yes, I do. I think I've got the time. Then I, I will drive you. And she personally drove me from Cambridge, Mass., to the gate, to the absolute gate where you signed in with all these terribly unhappy young men going back into the week of... OCS, and she took me all the way. Well, I didn't, was not in a romantic relationship with Mary, but just the sheer fact of doing it, I mean, it opened every door. Similarly, you know, if you've ever gotten a cold shoulder or gotten, you know, somebody's really thrown you over or you've gotten a terrible letter, I think there's a um, song by Jimmy Webb that I can't 
um, I can't praise Holly enough called uh, um, It's Easy Enough for You to See. Easy for You to Say. Uh, you can see it on YouTube if you look up Jimmy Webb performing on the Glenn Campbell show when he was very young. It's late 60s. It's Jimmy Webb performing. That's easy and easy for you to say, in which he describes being really um, passed over, uh, really rejected by the woman he loves, and it's so powerful. I think that Linda Ronstadt did a cover of it later, a wonderful cover, but it changes the wording or the pronouns in one of the sentences, which suffices to change the entire mood of the accusation and the admission. Uh, so listen to Jimmy Webb's version on live television in the late 60s. He's very young, and he looks quite good as opposed to later on. And um, rejection, romantic rejection in particular, that can change a life forever. And similarly, um, romantic affirmation and love can change a person's life forever. As in the hero, is it Fred or Ted in uh, Barcelona? See it see it. And I'm trying to say to you, and this is where the Christian faith comes in, but God, who is rich in mercy, when we were trapped in our sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, when we were trapped within our sins. And this is why I've called it under a cloud. I think you heard me refer to the line in Great Expectations, which occurs, I believe, in the novel. I've read it, the novel, but I don't have it before me, but I have just watched the very literal and very powerful and very artistic and very accurate and very heartfelt and very touching 1949 version, I think, by David Lean of Great Expectations, in which the adult Pip um, is coming really at the very last moments of uh, his great anonymous benefactor, Magwitch, the convict whom he had helped years and years earlier when he was a little boy, in an extraordinary act of rather complicit mercy that was, strictly speaking, both illegal and wrong. And um, that, uh, that uh, extraordinary um, exchange between the dying convict who's sort of a surrogate, as is a surrogate father to Pip, and uh, Pip uh, conveys absolute, not only total mercy, this man is dying in prison and has been sentenced to be hanged, but he communicates total love to the man, and then he, he tells the man, who has only literally seconds before his heart is going to give out, the man, um, he communicates to Magwitch, the old convict, some extraordinarily powerful, reassuring good news, which allows the convict to die in peace. And then, uh, out of the prayer book, I'm sure it is straight prayer book wording in the Dickens original, Pip prays a prayer that God would have mercy on this man's soul, who had been, as he says to Pip, you, 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 you were with me when I was under a cloud, and I want to repeat that. I really want to underline that again, as I underlined it last time with this extraordinary... Um, account of Tullian and Stacey Division's ministry in Jupiter Island. They are in the core. They are standing in the heart of the Christian faith. They will be totally rejected because of it, have been already. They will be attacked front, left, and center. They will be personally um, dragged through the mud, and yet their action in running this church is uh, a, an evocation of the true gospel. What did he say again? I think I read it in part one, but I want to repeat it in part two. A church where God's boundless love meets a broken world. Well, that's really my message to you. It's very short. We're going to end with a rather notorious but quite well done song from the same album, Led Zepp. Um, I believe it's track three in the original. You can listen to the whole thing. We'll just listen to an excerpt of it. But um, 
when God meets you. Did it happen to you? I have often told you the story about needing to go out to Wellesley one day from Harvard as a in the spring of my um, junior year, their third year, and I was just desperate to go clear something up with a young lady that was just overwhelmingly powerful. And uh, I was desperate to get out there. A-S-A-P, urgent, urgent, emergency, urgent, 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 emergency, paging Paul Walker. And I was desperate, and an old friend of mine who I knew from another prep school who I liked very much, uh, I pled with him to give me a lift, but he had some political thing he was doing. He was throwing rocks in favor of against some, it was, you know, the heart of the 60s, and he was absolutely determined to do whatever he was doing in terms of demonstration, and he absolutely turned me down, and was my need as great as whatever, I'm sure he's forgotten, I've certainly forgotten whatever demonstration was going on, but, um, you know, it's one of these things, he probably has forgotten it, and he probably didn't mean it personally, he probably just said, Paul, I just can't do it now, ask me another time, I just, I'm just not free to do it, I mean, this happens, people ask you to do something, and you simply can't do it. You simply are not able to do it. But to me, I took it as a total rejection, and I never really wanted to see him again. Whether that was right or not, it, to me, it functioned as a rejection of the deepest level. Similarly, Mary's uh, just overwhelmingly uh, unprovoked and spontaneous natural effort to put herself out to drive me uh, much further than to Wellesley to... Uh, to um, on a Sunday night, you know, she was on the night shift. Probably had to go into work the following that night at eleven o'clock to cover the night shift, or at least seven a.m. And she did this, and it just changed everything. I mean, I said, you know, this, she really, she really uh, cares for me. I mean, that was. A, I mean, I, I have tears thinking about it. But don't you? I mean, wasn't hasn't there been a moment in your life when someone actually acted outside their usual protected sphere and actually put your you in head of their own prerogatives, and and it had an enormous effect on you. And maybe you've been uh, done that at some point. You actually laid down your own entitlement or your own sense of what was important to you, and you did what was actually important to somebody else, and it changed everything. Well, that's why I call it under a cloud. It's the greatest thing you can do. No, let me put it. I never like to emphasize what you can do. Then it becomes the law. The gospel is to say, if you have been under a cloud of humiliation and what today is called shame, because they talk about shame all the time, but when real shame happens, I mean, I know a million clergy and bishops who will talk about shame, especially among, you know, women in the Me Too movement. And I, it's their right. I don't deny it. But I also know that uh, when it comes to helping out some accused clergyman or somebody who's truly also in shame, but the offense is of a different nature, so they, it, they, you know, there's no forgiveness for that particular offense, then they disappear. And so it gives the complete lie to everything else they say, because it's basically partisan. Um, and uh, uh, that poor person you know, when you were ashamed, you were caught cheating, or you were caught in some terrible third-party situation or some really mean action, or I, I was uh, saying something really mean about someone once in the in a fi my final club at school, at college, and I, I was in a, the office of the club, and I was said something rather negative about a, a, an a, a upperclassman. Actually, he was at Harvard Business School at the time, but had been very involved as an undergraduate. And he, he, was, he, came, he was coming down the stairs from the upstairs dorm. It was a little dorm of a few rooms, which I would end up staying at for almost a 
close to a many months later or another year, this chap came down and he he was there as he, the moment my lips were saying, oh, so-and-so, he's he's awfully, you know, gosh, he's he's a stuffed shirt, isn't he? He's, he's got a sword up his rear end. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a pompous ass. I said something like that to someone else. And he was there. He came down the stairs and he looked at me and said, Paul, I heard that. He said, I, I won't forget that. I, I won't forget what you said. Now, I mean, I felt so bad. I was caught. I was so ashamed. And he was a nice guy. I mean, nobody's perfect. Isn't that extenuating? That's not right. He was a nice guy. I had no reason to be to be mean to him. I, uh, I, I was absolutely shattered by, the, by my own sardonic cruelty to another person about this guy who had never done anything to harm me at all. And I've never recovered from it. If, he were, if I saw him, and I think I might be in a position to see him at some point, I certainly could look him up because I think he doesn't live far away from I am, where I am right now. I would say, you know, so-and-so, I'm really sorry. I, I, was a, I, I, I just I have no excuse. I was a, anyway, um, so when someone cares for you and loves you, when you're really under a cloud and feeling awful and Mary actually intervened at a time when I was like she didn't know the full story and I was in a time of deep deep personal uh, proto-rejectedness let's call it proto-rejectedness and uh, she didn't know what she was doing she did not know the extent of her um, good Samaritan love for me as a person we were not in a relationship but she was doing it simply in a deeply friendly and extremely unselfish manner. Well, that's all I wanted to say. When you're under a cloud, think about when someone spoke to you, and that's the heart of the gospel. And God bless Tullian, God bless Pip, God bless Mary. And ultimately, I pray that uh, I would uh, be blessed also in my own absolution of myself, let alone God, you forgive me for being such a horses, you know what, when I said that mean thing about that chap, let alone everything else I could list, but don't want to. God bless you all. And here we hear a little excerpt from a rather tough and classic Led Zeppelin, rather secular number. Um, Love you. (laughs) 